You can keep that in if you want to. <laughs> you can keep that in if you want to. You want to spit it out. Oh, good. I'll put another one in. We got no rules on this show. Just to have fun. Well, you need to start doing them at like 6 o'clock at night then. I do. With drinks. That's when I normally do it. Really? Yeah. Chris uh, sent me a thing because you could do it this morning. And I, was like, okay. I don't normally do them in the morning, but okay. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the 5.30 in the morning uh, podcast is definitely not as entertaining as... Who the hell does that? did one with Aaron Schneider Tafaro. It was like 5.30 in the morning. That's an eager beaver, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. You know you're important when you're getting a 5.30 in the morning invite. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So you're, uh, you're on mountain time, right? Mountain time, yeah. Yeah. Where are you sitting at? It's the nearest town. It's just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. About 30 minutes. What a great town. Nash Vegas? Nash Vegas, man. I'm telling you. It's booming, man. When was the last time you were here? NRA? Um, no, I think I was there um, in the fall of 2019 before COVID hit. Oh, okay. So recently. Right. You're pretty recent. Yeah, it's pretty recent. But I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky for oh. a number of years. Yeah. So, you know, Nashville was a place to go. Yeah, it's like, what, 40 minutes away? Something like that? Less than yeah. an hour? Yeah. Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Yeah. Up there close to Clarksville. Yep. I loved it because if you were active duty, you could hunt as a resident in Tennessee. You could hunt as a resident in Kentucky, right? So you're able to get resident buck tags, but then you could also hunt on Fort Campbell could legally you know go harvest uh i think it was like six or seven bucks when you're because you were dual state you you could get the kentucky limit and you could get the tennessee limit yeah nice yeah. if you were ever home during hunting season <laughs> that's true I, I was stationed there uh when 9-11 hit when 9-11 happened and then shortly thereafter we um deployed to afghanistan so i had a lot of time at in uh at fort campbell but um a lot of it was obviously disrupted once that kicked off yeah absolutely but what a great what a great community great town great area well it used to be nashville used to be great till all the libtards started moving in taking over you have no idea dude boise is like exploded yeah, Nashville has Seattle, two. <laughs> Seattle, Portland, you know, we're we're the first fall back into the mountain fortress of the Rockies um, in a completely red state. So not everybody that's coming is a libtard. There's a lot of police, a lot of first responders, a lot of firefighters, mm -hmm. but but the majority of them are. And I used to start count California license plates. Uh, from my house to the office and uh, it used to be when they moved to Idaho that was like a prerequisite like there was some sort of like uh, website that was out there something said what to do 
you know, when you moved to Idaho, and the first one was to change your license plates. And that's, that's we're key. past that now. We've, we've like completely, like, they don't give two shits and they'll just keep them on until they need to be updated. So it's yeah. disturbing. I just had some new neighbors move in next to me and I was kind of excited about it. And uh, I was mowing my yard and they were moving in and I saw their tags and it said California. So I just turned around my mower. <laughs> so I kind of want to fill them out first. Let's see how this goes. Yeah. Well, they're refugees, right? They they moved here for a reason, and so they need to be reminded not to uh, not to uh, be too quick to turn these places back into what they were running from. You know, and that's the problem is they come here and they inundate areas like you know Free America, Nashville, Austin was that way at one point, you know, and then they get completely yeah. turned libtard, and uh, that's what's happened to Nashville and. They come here and they, you know, they want all the benefits and live the great life that we have, but yet they still want to vote the same way and and bring those ways back over here. It just ruins well, everything. Well, it's it's a they, that's a mentality and a philosophy on many things yeah. that becomes the issue. So you know that Idaho and the Northwest in general, Nashville, I mean the entire United States. I mean Western lifestyle is a big thing, but we have this giant rodeo here. It's called the Snake River Stampede. It's one of the biggest in the Northwest. Real big PRCA rodeo. It's indoors at the Idaho Center. It's badass. I would love to go to um, a big rodeo. I've never been to a big one. Yeah, you have to you have to do it. But back into this discussion about California, um, they didn't have the rodeo last year, but the year before this was already starting. Um, the trickle in. And so the announcer's on a horse, he's got a mic and he asks the entire stadium in between events, Hey, how many people are here from California? And literally half of the stadium stood up and it's just like daunting because you're sitting there as an Idaho resident native. Actually, my wife and I are both fourth generation and you're, and it's just kind of like surreal, like, Oh wow. You know? And then, he goes into this little banter and he says, well, hey, just remember why you moved here, kind of like what you and I are talking about, you know. Um, and uh, the clown, he's like, hey, he jumps in, right? And he goes, hey, have you heard about the Californian and the guy from Tennessee and the guy from Idaho that are sitting at a bar? And the announcer's like, no, I haven't. And he goes, well, the guy from California is sitting at the end of the bar and he's drinking wine out of a wine glass and he drinks his wine and he gets all done and he throws the glass up in the air and he pulls his pistol out and he shoots the glass and he says, we have so much wine in California that we never ever drink from the same glass twice. Well, the guy from Tennessee sitting there drinking bourbon, he's watching this whole thing and he's about half down. So he slams the rest of his bourbon back. He throws his glass up in the air pulls his pistol out, he shoots it. He goes, we have so much bourbon in Tennessee that we never drink from the same glass twice either. So the guy from Idaho is sitting at the end and he's drinking a Coors in a glass mug and he finishes it off. 
He stands up, he throws the glass up in the air, he pulls his pistol out, and he shoots the Californian. He says, we have so many Californians in Idaho, we never drink with the same one twice. And the place just erupts. It was like, it was like the, it was the funniest joke I've ever heard. And I think he made that up on the fly. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's hilarious. That was hilarious. But, yeah, in light of everything else that's happened and the whole wokeness and the whole anti-police bullshit. A lot of these people that are moving out have the right idea. They want to get away from these sanctioned cities and, you know, all this nonsense, but, um, they do carry some concern. You know what I mean? They do. Yeah. But you know, it's like you said, we've got to educate them and remind them, just keep reminding them why they're here, why they came here, why they exited. I think that they should be required to live in these new areas for 10 years, then they can vote. Before they can vote? That's a that's a pretty good idea. Like, if I was the governor of Idaho, I would I would try to get that implemented. Yeah, but do you ever think that would, something like that would pass? I mean, it's a great yeah. idea. I mean, at least, at least a year to two years they need to live somewhere. Definitely. Especially yeah. when they're coming from a different culture like that. It's just, it's like coming from a different country. It is. That's what I was saying. They're like refugees. Yeah. Coming in. Right. And, um, you know, that last year there was more hunting licenses sold in the state of Idaho. That's like a new record. I'm sure it was all over, but there was a combination of a couple things. One, people were shitting their pants last spring when they went to the supermarket and they could only buy one steak. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's this resurrection in self-reliance and self-sustainment, right? Like, hey, I remember my dad or grandpa or uncle used to go, you know, kill a deer or an elk and fill the freezer. So mm. that was that was one aspect of it. The second aspect of it was that um, people couldn't travel and they couldn't go on these big elaborate vacations. And so they had pent up, you know, demand. They wanted to get out and that was a part of it. But the point with it is I, I got an associate here in Eagle, Idaho, who does a meat processing for people when they um, shoot their elk or deer. And a lot of guys don't want to mess with that. And they don't do it themselves, you know, so they drop them off. They pay this guy a hundred, couple hundred bucks and he cuts their stuff up. Right. Well, he gets checked and the fishing game come in and they make sure all their shit's dress right dressed and the paperwork's correct. And they've they've done everything correctly, you know. Yeah. Well, he was telling me Fish and Game came in and was talking to him, and they had this, like, they were turning work away, right? I mean, there was so many people out that were um, filling their freezers, uh, which was great. Um, but a lot of these guys had had moved into Idaho. They, it's the first time they'd really been out hunting. Yeah. And the Fish and Game told them that they had confiscated uh, four moose that had elk tags on them. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I didn't know the difference between a moose and an elk. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's not because that's what you're dealing with. Yeah. And these over the counter areas out here in Idaho now are, in my opinion, we're at a, we're at a breaking point where they're going to have to go to all draw type hunts because the density of the hunters is overwhelming. Yeah. You know? They should start putting a picture of the game on their license and say, this is what you're supposed to shoot. <laughs> threat, threat ID cards. Right. <laughs> Flip them out, elk, deer, moose, circle, 
That should be part yeah. of their licenses. They get they, they oh, get an ID. Here's here's another great California hunting related deal. So we were doing a photo shoot in the foothills in Boise, and uh, it was totally staged. You know, sometimes brands do this. Yeah. We had some new product we needed to get shots on, so we brought in a bunch of props. A lot of them we have around our office, and we had this giant moose rack. It's a 72 inch Alaskan moose. It's a freaking absolute pig and um it was in the back of the truck and and you know our trucks are all cryptic out they're badass they've got logos and stuff all over them so it's pretty easy to figure out you know whose trucks it belongs to but we go up in the foothills we're doing this photo shoot and the office calls and says hey um fishing game was just here and i'm like Oh, that's no big deal. They come in all the time. And he's like, yeah, but they were, fin- they were, they got a report that, uh, you guys had poached a moose in the foothills of Boise, a Alaskan bull moose, 72 inches. We have Shiris moose here, which like a huge moose is like giant would be 50. Yeah. And, um, and I guess that when he came in, the fishing game guy had to fill out the paperwork and do everything. And he was laughing about it. And he's like, yeah. It was definitely a Californian that called in. And I was like, they had told my office girls that. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Wow. That's hilarious. It is. The the elk police. (laughs) We got them for sure. Well, I mean, they got to look out. You know, they got to look out for theirs. That's a funny story. I like that. Brought you (laughs) shipped in a big old, a big old moose for the shoot. That's awesome. We had him here. I mean, it was a moose that I'd taken in Alaska when I lived up there for seven years. So it was just a last-minute deal to throw in, but we were being turned in for poaching. Well, so, we have started recording, Butch. We're recording. So I got all that I got all that on there. So if there's anything on there you don't want me to record, tell me now, and I'll edit it out in post. But uh, I think that was a great way to start the show. So, Leadheads, we are back with another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. This is episode something or another, 400 and something. I don't know which one it'll be. Uh, But the voice that you heard is a blast from the past. About two years ago, uh, we met Butch at the uh, Buck Knives booth for SHOT Show, the 2019 SHOT Show, when they used to have that. You remember that show they used to have? Yeah, (laughs) I do remember. In Las Vegas, it was a great time. All the... The outdoor industry got together and and communed with one it's, another. It's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, going forward if the National Shooting Sports Foundation doesn't pivot out of Nash- Nashville. I I have a concern that um, with the local policies that the governor's recently passed there, mm-hmm. which is you can go to football games, mm-hmm. you go to Golden Knight hockey games, but you have to have proof of vaccination. Um, that's going to be the same requirement for all trade shows, including SHOT Show. And in my opinion, within this industry, that's probably not going to go over as well as it might say in, uh, I don't know, another industry. Well, it shouldn't, it shouldn't go over with anybody because that's, that's bullshit. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to, I'll see, I got a small bet on this that, uh, between now and, this uh what's going to happen with shot show i personally think it's going to be very difficult to one stay in vegas if that is in place mm-hmm. um if if uh if at all 
because of that requirement. Yeah. Um, well, it's just it, you got to see where it's how it's going to play out everywhere. You know, on a on a national federal level, what they get uh, squeaked through. Uh, but yeah. as long as these states can can stick together and hold their own, like Florida, Tennessee, Texas, um, it's just it's up in the air, man. I don't know. It's it's a scary time because we never thought that it would get this far. You know, we've placated mm. to these these liberal leftist um, Marxist socialists for for so long. We give them a little bit here, a little bit there, where they've they've taken enough to where they can actually start, you know, actually implementing their their crazy ideas now. And we're seeing it firsthand. We're living it. And it's one thing right now when you have a requirement to go to a game or go to something and you're showing on your phone, here's my proof to some, you know, checker that doesn't really give two shits, right? right. It's another thing though, when they're going to say, well, you have to upload your credentials two weeks prior and, and it's a echelon above just, you know, kind of nonchalantly, you know, it's a registration. It's a, a national registration process where you're going to go into a system, you're going to be registered, you're going to be in a database, and it's it's ridiculous. 100%. We're so, seeing a little bit of that in I, Nashville. Um, like I said, the, the Nashville is a lot more liberal than it used to be, and the mayor there is uh, definitely uh, far left. And the governor, uh, thank goodness we've got a good balance there where – Whenever the mayor of Nashville tries to do something, the governor will make a state law to prevent him from from doing his madness. Uh, thank goodness. But uh, right. each individual business, you know, it's their own uh, personal decision on how they want to handle things. And we were trying to go to um, just a, a concert the other night at one of these little, you know, backroom bars. I mean, it wasn't a huge deal or anything like that. But they were requiring that you have your chill vax card. And we're like, yeah. we're like, what? <laughs> you gotta be shitting me. We were just in four other places that, you know, it wasn't even wasn't even mentioned, wasn't even thought of. It's like, yeah, your next door business right next to you. That's where we were at. Uh, but then we go to this one. It's like, it's crazy. Well, there's a, there's a lot of channels out on that with quote unquote counterfeit, you know, credentials on that oh, stuff. Oh, there are, again, that's only gonna it's only gonna last. It's a blip in this uh, life cycle of this this situation that we're in. Yeah, with well, the counterfeit so, ID, I mean, that's just a it's a nature of it's human nature. Anytime you got something that's that's legal and required, there's going to be people that skirt that and and right. find ways around it. And that they're they're doing it with the Vax cards now, which you know, I think the government and people are starting to see that, so they're going to take it one step further to where it's not just going to be this card that you fill out yourself. You know, right. It's going to be a national database. Chips, yep. man, well, chips. Wow. <laughs> I think that's what these vaccines are all about, man. They're they're injecting little microchips in us. I don't know if it's to that level yet, but it will be. I think that's a, one of the wayheads to where it's part of the identification. So back to the point of the matter, if that's a requirement for uh, SHOT Show 2022, yeah. I mean – 99% of uh, the folks that are at that uh, event 
um, are like-minded, right? Yeah. So that's where the rubber comes off the tire at that, that point. That comes down to the venue too, doesn't it? The, the individual venue too, not just the the state. Even if the state didn't do it and the venue required it, then you know, then you're still subject uh-huh. to it. I uh, good point. You yeah, know? and I think Very that's good. I think that's probably the issue with with Vegas and and it's you know the hotels. But yeah, I won't go. I definitely won't go if if they require vaccination proof or whatever yeah well the national rodeos final nfr will be the other one you know they pivoted out last year and went to um went to texas um Mm -hmm. to fort worth and it's supposed to come back this year but that'll be another one that'll be contentious as well yeah it'll all just depend on the venue and the show and the mentality of the individuals that are attending you know that type of thing but I don't think Nashville's big enough for to, to host a shot show. <laughs> Man, you're right. That's the thing is Vegas has got all the casino hotels, which is, you know, heads and beds type thing, and then just uh, the venue itself. So, yeah, tough one. But, yeah, that's the last time you and I were together was the last shot show. That's right. Butch Whiting with Cryptech is my guest this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, I made a post on social media last night letting everybody know that you're going to be on, and we've got some questions uh, to field. We're going to do that toward the end of the show. Sweet. But, uh, you know, we're we're talking hunting right now, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on. Uh, we got a great uh, backstory of of Cryptic and uh, the history of Cryptic in in that episode that we did at SHOT Show. So if you guys want to go back to that episode... Uh, it is episode number 285. That was back in February 19th of, uh, 2019. Did that interview and our interview starts somewhere around 20 minutes into that. So if you leadheads want to go back, but just to kind of for our new listeners and, and, um, people who, who aren't familiar with cryptic, which I don't know why they wouldn't be just kind of give a little bit uh, about cryptic, who you guys are and what you do. For our, our new the, listeners. The, the, the 30-second elevator pitch? Yeah. Because <laughs> they can go back to the other episode and, and get yeah. the detail. Well, uh, Cryptic, our slogan's Battlefield to Backcountry. Um, we're a bunch of former soldiers uh, with uh, numerous combat deployments that absolutely love to hunt. And the brand was built around uh, the idea of uh, spiraling you know, improvements in apparel features and functions out of and off the battlefield into the civilian hunting market. And we have uh, camouflage patterns that were developed specifically for the U.S. military, um, tested extensively by the DOD, selectively used by spec ops. We're the only camouflage that's in the civilian hunting market that's been extensively tested by the, uh, the U.S. government. Um, we have programs that we still do with uh, U.S. Uh, Navy Special Warfare and Army Special Warfare Tier 1 elements and also Coalition Spec Ops. And then also in the meantime, we um, we uh, are extremely, uh, I guess, significant in the hunting industry. So truly authentic, very, very authentic. And, uh, and we have an enormous amount of credibility um, just with the uh, – how we've come about and 
I think that's the quick elevator pitch. <laughs> that That's a good pitch right there. Now, I think one thing that we didn't uh, cover during that interview at SHOT Show was how you came up with the pattern itself, which is something that I, I'm curious about. And that may be one of our listener questions, but um, I'm yeah. curious as to that. Well, the, the, the original camouflage patterns, the macro and the micro pattern, were inspired by camouflage netting. And the reason why netting um, was the inspiration was because based off of our personal combat experience, uh, camouflage netting was by far the most effective passive concealment measure on the battlefield next to a ghillie suit. Ghillie suit's super cumbersome, super hard to, you know, duplicate. they're heavy when they get wet, they're hot, um, they're just kind of difficult to use. But the camo netting, you know, when those hexagons and the netting get stretched out and the fabric's woven in and out, they have a three-dimensional aspect. So our inspiration was to take that three-dimensional aspect and put it on a flat two-dimensional surface. And um, that's where the the camouflage ri- originated from. And, and our, Truth be told, camo netting goes all, all the way back to World War II mm-hmm. and yeah. been around forever. Um, we just basically wanted to take the same visual acquisition properties and principles that were into the netting um, and put it onto a, a, a two-dimensional aspect in apparel. And that's what originally <laughs> started the camouflage. Our new line of camel patterns called Obscura is actually an interesting um, inspiration. So there was a a coalition conventional military force that reached out to us from Europe that said, hey, we want to get this camo. And they had a picture and it was very similar to that icon you have right there. Mm. There were some guys shooting some mortars out of a mortar pit and they were wearing cryptic and the camo netting um, was behind them and the sun was coming through and cast a uh, shadow onto um, onto the cryptic gear that they were wearing. And so we were like, wow, well, that's that's a really interesting aspect. So we started to you know go into development. We really leaned back on the tiger stripe camo and pulled a bunch of information and data and testing that had occurred with that, which is a very effective and popular um, camo pattern over decades of uh, use and that's where the obscura line uh, was in developed and inspired out of so in both cases uh, we have camo netting and then we have camo netting on top of camo netting <laughs> so you just added another layer of netting right to it. so instead yeah. of twofold now it's threefold yeah in the in the obscura line the original um, family of cryptic camouflage actually becomes uh, the micro pattern, uh, which is um, it's it's set in the background. Yeah. Uh, so you have to actually you know take a close look at it to say, oh well, that's that's cryptic. I recognize that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm noticing on the obscure is it's, you've got these darker, darker right. lines in it, a little thicker, a little darker in in some yeah, spots. Yeah, and. It, and it actually, on the original family of camouflage, Highlander, Mandrake, and Nomad, we started the acquisition testing at 300 meters because that's the max effective range of a 
Right. Uh, the Obscura line actually carries out further on what you're looking for is that your camouflage doesn't blob or become one solid piece at further distances, which is really important when you're going against near peer competitors, right? Mm-hmm. Especially ones that are well-trained. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's super effective. We've brought three right now. There's cryptic in house has three variants, the transitional variant, which is the one that our, our new line is out in. We've also got uh, a black variant called Knox, um, Obscura Knox, which there's some, you know, more tans in that. Um, Mm -hmm. The last SEMA before all the shows got shut down, there was actually a Ford um, that was in the Ford booth that was wrapped in Obscura Knox, and it won uh, it won a bunch of awards um, oh, nice. for appearance and so on. Um, so the Knox is kind of a a darker blackish. Like you said it's got yes. some tan tan hues in there too. Yeah, it's super similar to um typhon which is cryptic typhon's one of our top patterns especially in the firearms industry for decorating one of my favorite knox Knox is a variant of that there's no real true functionality with black camo especially under nvgs night vision goggles and in the infrared and shortwave infrared but these black camos are very appealing on you know lifestyle aspects and then if you get into you know, tier one law enforcement, uh, counter terrorist organizations as well. It does provide IFF identify friend or foe still, I guess in that aspect. But for the most part, when guys are wearing Typhon uniforms or in this case it would be a Knox uniform, mm-hmm. they're looking, they're looking for the psychological aspect of when they kick a door in or they fast rope in, uh, off a of helo, um, you know, the bad guys are shitting themselves just because there's a psychological aspect. Yeah. Uh, with that. the, with the advent and you know, use of infrared is, does this have some sort of infrared, um, attributes as well? It all depends on how it's printed. So all of the military grade tactical gear that we have is wet printed. And if it's wet printed, if you look at that through a set of NVGs or if you look at it on a trail camera is a good example, mm-hmm. uh, it will still be grayscale camouflage. If you go in with the hunting gear that we have, which is done with heat transfer paper, then you'll look like Gumby the glow stick. <laughs> so – so. Um, it's super important uh, when you're talking U.S. military is extremely hypersensitive to infrared and shortwave infrared. Yeah. Uh, law enforcement, not so much, and then hunting, not at all. But to answer your question more deeply, even if you have wet printed Obscura Knox or wet printed Typhon um, in those uniforms, just when you're dealing with black, in general, it's very difficult. Uh, it's a very difficult um, colorway to work with in the infrared and shortwave infrared spectrums. Um, so, 
when you see SWAT teams running around with NVGs on, if they were going against near peer and they're wearing all black uniform, that's actually the worst color you could wear underneath NVGs. Yeah. And the reason I asked that when you were talking about friend or foe identification, they've got other means that they do that uh, with anyway, when they're using their, their night vision and infrared. Yeah. And the newest, biggest push is in, uh, uh, thermal. And so, um, Mm. forward looking infrared is, uh, uh, another concealment concern now that's definitely applicable on, um, various equipment and some of those technologies and the pigments that are used in those, uh, uh, paints are being spiraled into pigments to be used in dyes, uh, to use, be used in uniforms. Right. So that's, new concern is your heat signature the the other one i saw as you were looking around on there was obscure transitional and the input on or not transitional grom grom um that snow pattern is super super badass and that yeah. actually was uh I like that inspired by the grom from poland and feedback that we had got from testing that they had done on our over whites that were in uh our uh, original snow camo which is yeti slash wraith we had to change the name of it because yeti sued us yeti coolers are you serious straight up man not even a warning not even a shot across the bow just like i mean they didn't even that that term's been around for thousands of years by the indians well check this out it's even deeper than that so one of my um business partners is friends with one of the founders of yeti and when we named that camo pattern Yeti, we got his permission. He's like, yeah, no problem. Verbal. We're doing coolers. You guys are doing camo. Um, fast forward, you know, group comes in, acquires the company. He becomes kind of more silent, out enjoying life, whatever. And uh, the legal counsel shoots the, shoots the lawsuit. So anyway, yeah, Yeti sued us. Um, like you're taking business away from them. That's crazy. uh, Something else. Wraith. The Wraith. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the Wraith. I like Wraith. That's a good name. Yeah, it is a good name. In hindsight, though, it's a little close to Raid. Cryptic Raid. Wraith. Didn't think that through too well. We got another pattern called Raid. Yeah, I, so. I knew that, but I, I'm not confusing the two. I mean, one one's grayish. This one's kind of bluish grayish. Would you say? It's more. Yeah, that picture doesn't do it justice. But it's extremely effective, and this is the only snow camel pattern that's ever been used by both U.S. Navy Special Warfare and Army Special Warfare at the exact same time, and it's also been extensively tested. The Wraith. Um, the Wraith, okay. yes. That's one of our top-selling items is our overwhites um, globally. And that's where that was uh, tested by the Polish Grom. And then uh, that's how you we now have the variant Obscura Grom, which has a lot more greens in it. Yeah. I liked it. So, yeah. Try to find it. But when yeah. you, there it is for when you visual. And I, when you and I last met, in 2019 um 
we were just launching uh, Obscura. The Obscura. And now, yeah. That's what you and were going to show me if I came came by the booth, because you're like, hey, come by the booth. We've got something that we can show you. We don't have it out, but I'll show it to you. Yeah. And, of course, exactly. I never I never got away from the booth. So, um, but well, yeah, we were, I, a whole, I like we were a whole 50 yards away from the Buck Knives booth, so yeah. maybe not even. 25 so you know how far you know, you know how long it takes to go you know 10 feet at shot show it's a hundred percent i for years wanted them to have uh, a pisser put in my uh in my booth in your booth a private a private pisser <laughs> that was like one of the meeting rooms so i didn't have to walk oh man <laughs> didn't have to. i hated going to the back taking bathroom breaks because I mean, it's, it's like an, yeah, it's like an hour. Cause you stop and you see everybody and you know, you talk and, and then of course just the crowds itself, just trying to get through. Um, yes. The, the, yeah. Well, for, for guys that haven't been there, that joke saying, well, yeah, you're a whole 50 meters away from our booth and you couldn't make it over. It's a true factual, you know, you it's have real. to have been there and be there to really appreciate that. It's a real thing. Yeah. But I do miss I do miss the the conventions. I know you don't. You're not you're not a big uh, convention guy anyway. But uh, I do miss them because you know I just miss seeing everybody. You know, like seeing seeing you in person, and then of course, you know, you guys had the the best party uh, ever of anybody, the cryptic party. Everybody always looked forward to that. That's something I want to talk to you about. Also, was that last party? Yeah. You had uh, you had Frank Stallone playing at the Cryptek party. Now, for you listeners who don't know who Frank Stallone is, yes, he is the brother of Sylvester Stallone, arguably ten times more talented. I don't think there's any arguing about it. He is ten times more talented than Sylvester Stallone. Uh, I mean, he's an actor. He's a musician. Um, what else does he do? He does all kinds of stuff. He's he's just an interesting person yeah. as well. There's a but there's some kind of documentary on Netflix or something about him. It's pretty cool. You know the cryptic parties are pretty interesting because it's a true merger of this uh, battlefield of backcountry. If you go to our party, there's going to be all these individuals and elements that are from you know organizations that don't exist except in Tom Clancy books. And, and then you've also got these industry leaders in the outdoor hunting industry. And then you've got, you know, key players that are touching both sides, i.e., you know, like Nosler ammo, you know, or Hornaday ammo and that type of thing. But it is a true cryptic is really a brand where, you know, where everybody that is a shot show mentality type person, outdoor industry type person, we touch, whereas some of our competitors are uh, isolated on yeah. one side of the spectrum. Yeah, uh, we really, as a brand, pierce that veil um, across you know the shooting sports, uh, law enforcement, military, uh, and hunting. Mm -hmm. um, and and then just the regular a, Joe Schmo, who, like you said, you guys, you know, it's a lifestyle brand now. Uh, that just right. enjoys your apparel and wearing your pattern. Yeah, there's a lot of education that comes with that. You know, when we have folks that are cryptic fans and their only exposure to cryptic has been through 
how they decorate their guys on Call of Duty Black Ops or Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, and they've never, you know, held a real gun in their life, and they're wondering why on your on your social media why would you kill a bear? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you ha- you can't be like, what are you shitting me? Get out of here! You got to be like, well, there's a conservation aspect. We always draw back into the conservation aspect and self reliance, self sustainment, that type of thing. But um, that lifestyle piece, you know, we talked about that on that previous podcast. Yeah. That still is, you know, a mind-blowing deal. And it never it never fails me to be like, wow. Like, I'll show you one that would be of interest that ties back into okay. your listening stuff. We, so I, we recently just did this deal with, uh, with Taser. Taser. And they, and they put um, they put the the taser in cryptic altitude, which oh, wow. is our one of our more premium uh, collections. You know, the altitude collection is um, it's Schuller fabric out of Switzerland. It's printed in Germany. It's super super high end. But yeah, you can get a a cryptic. Uh, you can get a taser with the cryptic altitude. Right. I mean, and then, you know, you load the cartridge and it shoots out the darts. And So what was their reasoning in wanting to put a camo on the, uh, on the taser? Lifestyle. Did, just lifestyle. Just that's because it's cool. Catches people's eye. Makes them want to buy it. That, yeah, that's the aspect of it, right? I mean, it's just kind of interesting. It's the same thing with uh, why would somebody want to put, you know, in cryptic camo or any camo for that matter on their knife on their pocket knife (laughs) i personally want bright orange fluorescent orange knives and knife handles and lanyards when i drop drop them in the dark (laughs) exactly (laughs) i think that's going to lead to one of our listener questions um we'll, we'll get to that when we get to listener questions i think i remember seeing one of those um but with the with the camo itself, the the crypto, you know, you're talking about how it, you know, it's it's bridging a lot of different lifestyles and and bringing, yeah. you know, the, the outdoor industry is tight knit as it is anyway. The firearms industry is kind of tight knit as it is anyway. But even within it, as you got any kind of uh, organization, you're going to have your own little cliques, you know, like you're talking about that that break off and do their own thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then like you said, with that party, that's what, you know, brings me back to the party that you guys have is just seeing all the different, you know, people that were there, the different mix of people that you wouldn't normally see at maybe one of the other, um, companies events because they are, you know, they're more clickish kind of thing where at yours, it's just, you know, everybody was there from like the, the shooting competition shooters hunters uh the elites like you said the military elites that uh you know wear the the button-up magnum pi shirts to (laughs) to the uh, to musicians i mean there were musicians there um gosh i mean i can't it was just so there were so many people there and everybody was having a good time everybody was getting along the food was amazing uh, the music was was hot, and you know the people were rocking. It was it was a great time. It really is, uh, I guess, a testament for somebody that has the, I guess, wherewithal and situational awareness that you have to come in and recognize that 
um, because that's that's the brand. That is the the piercing of the veil from the battlefield to the backcountry. Yeah. And you know when you got these pipe bangers, you know, sitting around with uh, the Eastmans from Wyoming and their cowboy hats, and they're <laughs> and they're finding all this common ground. And you know, you see the mentality that we all share. Uh, whether you're super hyper hunting focused or you're getting ready to go on your next deployment to go, you know, turn bad guys into dirt. So the one thing that's interesting that uh, you sparked um, a thought on there as you were kind of talking through these call it clicks mm-hmm. is that's a, a occurring situation right now for sure within my specific hunting industry is that some of the ca- other camo options and what they stand for. Um, I won't say that they're, they're woke, but they're yeah. woke, Yeah, you know? And so the mentality is more of a, you know, tree hugging type. Um, I guess uh, maybe didn't vote for the right president uh, groups that have formed and shaped. And whereas our customer base is definitely on the far, far right. You know, we had the 90 million folks that voted for Trump or the 90 million folks that are going to buy cryptic and wear it. And, um, we went through a, a, I mean, it's been a pretty, the interesting scenario with what's occurred here over not even the last year yet, but close to, uh, along those lines, the, the political aspect uh, and, and the censorship that's occurred just on the cryptic side um, and social media platforms mm-hmm. and what you would want to say and how you'd say it and what you stand up. And even if it's just interpretive, we didn't do anything. I mean, we've been censored uh, by the Communist Party of Zuckerberg and, you know, had to pivot and had to change how we've done things. And it's because of you know, those groups that basically gravitate to our brand. Right. And, and I, and, and it, it frustrates me to know in that, that they do it, but again, you know, and it's going to come down to, are these guys public utilities or are they, you know, private companies? And, you know, that's how they want to run their company. Um, yeah. You know, it's gotten to the point now we're just, and, you know, by design, they get, it's like, it's like a, a drug dealer. You know, they give you a little taste, a little sample, get you hooked on it, uh, until they've become this just huge thing that people rely on now, just like, you know, just like your telephone or the internet, you know, for, well, it, from a, from a company perspective, that's how we communicate. It's, it's super powerful to be able to measure your marketing spend against the results. So you get this return on ad spend and that's, that's what you're talking about. That's like the crack. Yeah. If I, if I'm, if I buy and place print ads and I'm out there just collecting impressions, there's no real way to measure that. But if you're able to post a digital ad on a, on a major platform and you can see, well, this cost me X number of dollars, but I generated, you know, 10 times that or 15 times that that's that's the crack right yeah so then when they when you get censored i feel super bad for the gun companies because they've been experiencing this forever right you can't just day one you can't go put a gun or even an ammo ad on these platforms we got our uh our ad accounts completely 
hammer turned off after the insurrection on Jan 6 because the guy that's jumping over the seat with the flex cuffs, he's called the flex cuff guy or the zip tie guy. Uh-huh. If you look closely at him, he's wearing cryptic typhon mm. combat uniform. And so all of our accounts were shut down. Boom, Just because he down. was wearing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, I mean, I've heard, well, what what happened to the guys that were wearing Wrangler or the guys who were wearing uh, Carhartt <laughs> yeah. or Nike? Or Polo. Know? All of that. Yeah. Right? Ralph Lauren. So, what about the Ralph Lauren people? Come on. Yeah. I'll tell you, there's a whole there's a whole plethora of stories that leads into this. You'll find interesting since we kind of started to put our head down this rabbit hole. Yeah. The first thing that occurred was last fall, we, we were subpoenaed by the FBI. And they wanted to know how many of these types of hats we had sold that were in cryptic Highlander. And it had the Chris Kyle Punisher logo on it uh-huh. for one. Um, and it had some other nomenclature. Well, we looked at this hat and we sell blank hats to anybody that wants to buy them. And then they can put their logo on them. And, and that's super popular. Sure. I mean, all the gun brands that have cryptic camoed hat with their name. Not to it. mention the counterfeit okay. knockoffs. That too, yeah. So we looked at it. We replied back to the FBI and said, hey, look, this is a blank program. We sell a blank cat, and they're decorated. Well, what was happening was during that time, you had all of this uh, Black Lives Matter um, rallies and protests, and they were tearing down the statues. And these local militias were going out and basically standing protection over statues and various other things. Well, mm-hmm. A lot of these guys were yeah. wearing these hats. And that's where that came from. All right. Mm. So we get through that. So they're trying to identify the people through the purchase of the hat. Right. Exactly. So the second thing was the zip tie guy and the insurrection and two months of us getting completely hammered. We're off Instagram. We're off Facebook. We can't do any paid ads. That's nice because you can see your return on ad spend, which I mentioned. The third one, I get a phone call from my my VP of sales. He said, hey, I just got off the phone with AFI's Army Air Force Exchange System, mm-hmm. and we are required to buy back all of our T-shirts, hats, hoodies, and beanies that have our logo on that with Roman numeral three in it. What? And yeah, so listen to this. So I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? So I start to get more information. I have some follow up phone calls. So when the cryptic brand was formed and you look at some of our art, there's Roman numeral three in it. Mm-hmm. And that, when we put that in there, that stood for um, three focus areas. We had three focus areas we wanted to build our business model on. The first one was cryptic apparel regardless of camo or non-cryptic apparel. Second one was cryptic camouflage technologies, which we spent some time talking about, and that's a major part of our business model. And then the third one was cryptic adventures, which was us going out and hunting and and basically, you know, just in the outdoors and, and storytelling and, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. At one point, we had an aspiration to do, like, super cool um, 
things. But anyway, that was why the Roman numeral three was there. Well, as you know, uh, the there was a movement that started around 2010-11, about the same time. Three percenters. Started. And, yeah, three percenters and three percent of the Americans stood up and fought against the Patriots and had a lot of momentum. And three percent was identified with guys that are pro-Constitution and pro-Second Amendment and pro-Pledge of Allegiance and pro-stand-up and national anthem. And... Um, Long story short with that is this spring, now, Roman numeral three is domestic terrorism. And so... Oh, my gosh. Um, I I lost my noodles on that, um, started to look more into it. If you go to, I think it's the Southern Poverty Law Institute, they track all domestic violence and, you know, terrorist groups. Well, they've now got listed every single militia by every single state in the United States. And from what I saw, pretty much every state has Roman numeral three of Tennessee, mm -hmm. Roman numeral three of Idaho. There's three percenters of Idaho, three percenters. Every state's got that. Mm -hmm. So that association and, and that symbolism that was built into our logo now apparently you know, us former combat veterans um, that fought our nation's battles uh, were domestic terrorists too, and so Roman numeral three is not not a good thing. So it's that was just like another seventeen seventy six. They they the social media police or whatever anything that had seventeen seventy six because that's who makes our um, our shirts. The shirt I'm wearing, our our logoed stuff, seventeen seventy six United. Uh, they shut them down. They banned them. You couldn't hashtag it. You couldn't couldn't do anything with it. just because 1776 United. You know because you know that's when the American Revolution. Yeah, if you if you have 1776 uh, and Roman numeral three, you're a real bad. Oh, you're bad like person. top of the yeah the watch list, man. No fly list right there, baby. Automatic. No. So, so here's my final like culmination in a number of just mind-blowing events. A couple weeks ago, this is super recent, um, my customer service gets a phone call. They're asking about, you know, Roman numeral three to the guys, this and that, back and forth. I'm looking at, well, there's a police officer in Bend, Oregon. You can find this on the internet. It, he was under investigation because he had a cryptic patch, number one. That's the reason why we were involved in it. A cryptic freaking patch that he got at a law enforcement shooting event in um, in Vegas, actually. He had a keychain that said Mona Lobe, come and get it. Mm -hmm. um, and then he had a, uh, I think he had a, a notebook <clears throat> that said on the outside people to kill. And when they investigated this whole thing, uh, and looked in the notebook, it was actually his dope book uh, that he kept track of all of his um, range time. So his atmospheric conditions, so on and so forth. Yeah. And he literally came under the scrutiny of, um, and, and went under a formal investigation uh, for being an extremist because he had a cryptic patch and a monolobe keychain. Yeah. So this is, this is the story I've got up for you guys watching the video. Um, 
opb.org article. It says, investigation clears Ben Police Corporal of alleged ties to extremism. So it sounds like he got cleared. Um, yeah. Corporal Josh Spano faced 10 alleged policy violations, all deemed unfounded. Still, the investigation has led to proposed changes in the department around social media. Some of the allegations against Spano stemmed from personal items and social media posts featuring imagery associated with the anti-government militia movement. Police supervisor, which is the three percenters that you're talking about, they, they think that's anti-government. Um, police right. uh, supervisors decided those references were coincidental to Spano's military background. <laughs> it's funny well, because all there. this stuff comes from, the majority of this stuff comes from military. Right. Uh, and and so if you continue down on there, I'll talk about cryptic, which is um, uh, it has some blurb says something about like commonly used by militias or something along those lines. But um, so he's talking about the Moan Labe here. Uh, he's also got tattooed on his leg, uh, Statue of Liberty holding a pistol and silencer. And that's a decent tattoo. Probably not Looks the best. like he got it in the garage. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say, yeah. Uh, let's see. Cryptic. Spano showed. There's the Roman numeral three right here. One patch includes the Roman numeral three, a symbol popularized by militia groups. Uh, the notebook cover reads. And, of course, they're going to call any, uh, any of these groups militia groups. Mm-hmm. Not just there patriots. Cryptic merchandise is, is frequently branded by three percent malicious. That's the it? last paragraph on that page you got up there. It says as the Roman numeral so, Spano said he was unaware of a link to militia culture uh, until recently. He told blah 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 Cryptic, and that they uh, let's see he got the patch from an owner of a company that makes it. Cryptech. Did you give that to him? I personally didn't of the give company it to him. that makes Cryptech. And that they met at a police training in Nevada. Cryptech is a clothing brand that um, markets outdoor gear with a military aesthetic. At the time, Spano worked for the Medford Police Department. It says the owner of Cryptech also wanted to get in contact with Medford SWAT team to see if they could have a business deal for jackets. Cryptech merchandise is frequently branded by three percenter militias, according to Mark, whoever, an expert on extremism for the Anti-Defamation League, who pointed to several examples online, including one from a Washington state militia. So, guilty yeah. by association, huh? Well, I guess guilty by mentality, more so than not. Right. The, I mean, the associative mentality pro, of freedom. Pro. We're super pro law enforcement. We're super pro constitution. We're super pro military. We're super pro everything American. And back into where this came from, that's the association of the cryptic brand that we're not going to get off of. It's built into the fiber of who we are. And apparently, you know, yeah, now that makes us and classifies us as, uh, oh, well, they're they're bad 
they obviously were behind this insurrection because this one guy that's got more, you know, exposure than anybody else was wearing cryptic Typhon uniforms, which, by the way, we looked up and we didn't even have a record of selling it to him. He got it from some third party retail, neither here nor there. I don't care if he did buy it from us. Yeah. The state is, is that, you know, the Communist Party of Zuckerberg and this whole woke bullshit nonsense in this administration that we've found ourselves in is disgusting. You know, spent numerous years in Afghanistan and Iraq and to see this withdrawal that Biden and his woke generals, they should be court-martialed. It's just, you know, in general, that's who we are, lefty. It's who we are and talking like who we are. So if that makes us extremists, then I guess. I mean, know, I've been an extremist is. my entire life. My uh, my family from generations have been extremists then, you know. It's just. <laughs> yeah. It's, God, just, it's yeah. a shame that you can't speak up um, and have the freedom of speech. Like you said, I mean, we're being censored and it's going way deeper than just individual companies, you know, from Facebook and whatnot. The entire Internet has become censored. If you try to do certain searches on on things, they have wiped them out completely, and you can't go and you can't find the information. It's it's getting really Chinese ish, I guess. <laughs> you know? 100%. It's it's it, 100%. and we have to continue. You you can't let them squash out um, our voices. You know, we have to be heard. You have to continue to be heard. I was watching Instagram. Uh, What's the guy with a patch that's uh, in oh, Congress? Um, former Navy SEAL yeah, guy? I know, I know who you're talking about. Um, Him. His name's escaped, too. Dan Crenshaw. Crenshaw. That's it. Uh, he had gotten up, and I haven't watched it yet, but um, he got up and he had voiced his opinion about how, I guess, disgusted he is with the Biden administration and uh, you know everything that they've done since they've been in office, and especially Afghanistan that whole debacle um and when he got done the speaker of the house um said uh if we could please refrain ourselves from saying basically saying bad things about the president um i mean it was it is ridiculous so i mean they're even they're even squashing our representatives and who are our voices in the government you know, they're squashing them now. It's it's getting really bad. Yeah. The censorship, once you start down that rabbit hole, uh, it's only going to... It's snowballing, yeah. Bigger and deeper. You know that Biden recently came through Idaho on the way to California to go... I had um, heard that. ...and some got state in office, and he stopped in Boise because the headquarters for all the wildland firefighting um, is located here in mm-hmm. Boise. And there was this super significant turnout that was basically protesting Biden. I mean, there was thousands of people. Never saw any of it on on the uh, news. Mm-mm. None of it at all. Didn't but cover it at all. What what did come out was that when he was at this press conference, they started to ask some questions. He came off script. Yeah. And they unplugged his mic and our Senator Rich basically said, who has the authority to shut off the president's mic? I want to know. And you know, what'll come out of that 
discussion yet to be determined. But um, well, there was another one that, that they did the other day um, where they had some some foreign um, dignitary that was speaking. And they, the press corps just came in to shut the whole thing down and made everybody leave. What was that all about? Did you hear about that? I heard about it, but I didn't observe it or see which one that, that was. But, yeah. um, I heard it on the radio. I was, um, coming back from the farm building a deer blind. Uh, so let's, <laughs> let's get out of this, get out of this politic bullshit out of the way. Let's talk hunting and conservation, man. Cause you guys are big, big proponents of conservation and you support a lot of great organizations um that, mm-hmm. that go along and help with uh, nature conservation uh, and that yeah. and that's due to your you know your upbringing your backgrounds you grew up hunting you've raised your children right. uh hunting two girls uh what close to early 20s now uh yeah late teens Getting early there. 20s um you know so your whole family you know you, you guys have been involved with it and and I wish Josh would join us sometime. Cleghorn, the um, the other yeah. the other owner yeah. of Cryptech, would love to meet him. Haven't met him yet. Um, but talk about talk about your passion for for hunting, and then obviously the conservation and the bad rap that hunters you know are that get all the time. Where we're the actual reason for all these nature conservations and whatnot. Well, <clears throat> when it comes to the conservation aspect. You know, the Pittman-Robinson Act is a huge, huge um, benefit back into uh, our local fishing game chapters. And so every time we buy a firearm and or ammo, and now it's been extended even to archery products um, and some fishing products, that a significant percentage of that goes back into uh, into conservation and into fishing game. Mm-hmm. And when you have these other groups that – you know, claim to be super passionate, but are very anti-hunting, they're a drop in the bucket compared to what actual sportsmen and actual people that are shooting and and out in the woods um, are contributing back into that. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, our involvement is pretty broad. Like you stated, I mean, we're heavily involved with uh, a number of groups, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Mule Deer Foundation, uh, Safari Classics International, Dallas Safari Club, programs with Ducks Unlimited, and and so on. Um, and ultimately, that's about preserving uh, this opportunities and these cultures that uh, we're super passionate about for our children and our and our grandchildren and and their grandchildren. Um, you know. Hunting is a, a significant part of how I was raised. Um, it's a it was the catalyst that allowed my family to come together, and it was the highlight of our year. And it and it was all inclusive from the time we went out and harvested, you know, an animal or a deer or elk, through the processing of it to loading it into the freezer, and then this whole other cycle starts after that. Is you know when I my wife would send my daughters to the freezer to go get a pack of meat or hamburger or whatever. And then they go back into, uh, the, the cooking and and the preparation and so on. So it's, it's truly, um, a very, very significant part of who we are as people. Um, we are super passionate about filling our, our freezers, being the only folks that have 
handled, you know, this organic protein and that mm-hmm. type of things, a, a segue that you can throw in there. But the truth about it is it's also a lot of fun. It's super fun. Like, you know, to go out and being and outdoors spend. is fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, that's why cryptic exists when we were deployed and we were missing those hunting seasons and we were missing those opening days and missing time away from our family and friends. It was about daydreaming about, you know, how could we, you know, develop a brand, develop a company that would support our life and our, and our families. And still we could do what we enjoyed, uh, which was, uh, to be, you know, immersed out in the wilderness. Um, so super important part. And we do give a lot back, uh, to various um, conservation groups, um, and then also the educational aspect of it is uh, yeah. is a big deal. Like I mentioned before, there's a lot of folks that the barrier to entry um, they might be intimidated, or they might not understand how to do something, or wanted you know they want to learn but they don't know how to go about it. Um, and so you know it's a it's a pretty broad spectrum actually who we interact with because we do get a lot of folks that just weren't fortunate enough to grow up um living a good life (laughs) in the in the back 40 or the back country yeah and it seems to be fewer and fewer as as we progress um as a country too but it's organizations like this you know the education is key and I'm noticing here that the the Coastal Conservation Association, um, you know, right. it's like they specialize in in educating. Um, great found the Mule Deer. You mentioned them, Mule Deer Foundation, another great organization. Uh, we've had C.J. Buck on the show, uh, and we've talked uh, about several different the the Boone and Crockett um, organization. Talked about them and uh, all that they do, education um, programs that they have. Uh, you know, it's it's things like that when you've got co- people that move into an area like Idaho, like Tennessee. I mean, even California, they have hunting in California too. It's just not as as prevalent in in as in our areas. Uh, but I think that needs to be key: is the education on the the hunter's conservation and how it started. And you know, hunters are the reason that we have you know these great organizations that we have these these parks these beautiful places of nature that still exist it's because of hunters and it's because um whether it's voluntary or not the you know the government has imposed these taxes on firearms and outdoor companies that these taxes go directly to like you said wildlife and and fisheries I'm not positive on the history behind that tax, but I want to say that the gun companies were actually the ones that went and said, let's set this up and let's do this. I think it was, but I think it was, as you said, it was Pittman and... Pittman Robinson, yeah. Um, You know, and then the whole uh, North American um, conservation business model, I mean... Unless you live in Europe or you go to Europe and hunt or you go any place and hunt, you can't really appreciate the, the idea of being able just to go out onto public land and, and go hunting. 
because in other countries you can't do that. Mm-mm. And and Theodore Roosevelt actually had the foresight to set you know a lot of this in motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the smoke clears, the United States of America is extremely unique when it comes to the outdoor hunting opportunities that are afforded to every individual citizen. Um, that is not the case elsewhere. Uh, and right. so as Americans, we have a very, very, we're very blessed on a lot of fronts, but the ability to just, you know, go out and, and go harvest, uh, some wildlife is, is significantly different. And, um, and the Pittman Robinson definitely provides a major backstop for funding. Sure. And, and when you have, uh, you know, you get into a pissing match with some vegan, you know, uh, Sierra Club <laughs> member, um, you got to be able to slow down and, and, and explain some of these finer details. And I, I personally think that a lot of people that are in our industry don't really know and recognize, you know, how significant the outdoorsmen and the shooting community's contribution is back into conservation. Mm-hmm. And so if they, if they really were able to grasp that, I mean, um, it's powerful. So here's I mean, the, the overview truth. of the Pittman Robinson Act. Um, took over a pre-existing 11% excise tax on firearms and ammunition. Instead of going into the U.S. Treasury, as it had done in the past, the money generated by the tax is instead given to the Secretary of the Interior to distribute to the states. The uh, Secretary determines how much to give to each state based on a formula that takes into account both the area of the state and its number of licensed hunters. States, right. So, yeah, go ahead. So, if you, so if you have a state that's selling 10 million, 10, 10 million hunting licenses a year compared to another state that's selling a million, mm-hmm. The one that's selling the more tags based off of that formula they use will get more money put in. More of that 11% excise tax just on firearms and ammunition. It's, right. it's just the firearms and ammunition companies that are getting this this tax. Uh, and then that tax is now going. And it may, like you said, it may have been uh, the firearms industry that said, hey, why don't you take that money that you're taxing us and you know, put it towards something good, and put it into that. I'm, I believe, like you said, I'm not sure. I believe, yeah. So they may have lobbied for that, which was genius. Um, well, nobody likes taxes. No. But this <laughs> one actually is pretty damn, pretty damn significant uh, with regards to um, conservation and fishing game departments. Yeah, and um, what 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 it is is these these anti-gunners don't realize this and if they were to get their way and you know we were to do away with the firearms and the ammunition uh, that's billions that's billions of dollars that's been going toward their tree hugging um rights and freedoms that they're going to lose and where that where's that money going to come from now not them because they're not giving anything other than just their squeaky wheels it, it's a very good argument, 100%. Uh, I just don't see why people don't use that more when they're combating these these people. Maybe they don't want them to know it exists. I don't know. Because then they would they try to go <laughs> after it. 
a few a few years ago i was asked to sit on this panel for the national governors association and the title was economic growth in the outdoor industry um and the panel lead was at that time governor hickenlooper from colorado what a who's, name he's a pretty liberal but they also had the ceo of rei oh gosh it was coming in so i think what happened was nssf saw the ceo of rei and so they like went and found the most you know counter 180 yin yang they could find and asked me to come in and sit with him <laughs> um but what had just occurred right before that um was that rei was boycotting uh several brands mm-hmm. like that were owned by um i believe atk or no no vista by vista vista group. yeah it was the vista uh, and it was I think like this was Canada. during the um that school shooting what was it um anyway school shooting yeah i think that's you know what what sparked their whole um well, revulsion well, of these companies. They had acquired Savage Arms. Yeah. So, so now they they had Savage, but but REI was selling these other brands within the REI stores, and they basically said, "Well, we're not going to carry those brands." Camelback was one of them. Bell Helmets was one, and it was all because they had acquired this gun company. Um, the point with it was that. Uh, I had this super elaborate, super crazy, awesome platform I was getting ready to roll in on, and I got a phone call from an executive within the NRA and said, hey, don't pick this fight. And I had to rewrite my speech and all my talking points on the plane. It was it was a, a disaster. Uh, my daughter watched it on uh, C-SPAN, and I'm really critical of my girls, and they're very, very good communicators. And my oldest daughter's like, I've never heard you say, um, so many times you would, you would kill me. And I'm like, well, I had to rewrite the entire deal on the plane, you know, on the way there because I got shunned not to take it on. Um, but the point is back into this, you know, Pittman Robinson discussion, like, you know, organizations that are super left. They're, they think they're into conservation. They think that they have everything figured out. They don't even have a clue how much you know gun owners ammo by all that money. How much goes back into actual conservation and preservation, and all the secondary and you know uh, tertiary effects. Like when you go do a program, they do a guzzler, let's say in um, in, in the for sheep country, or they do an improvement for mule deer. You know, or they're investing money in there. There's all these secondary effects and third effects for other species and 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 the environment in general. And if you were to eliminate those programs, I can't even imagine, you know, the detriment uh, overall that yeah. these uh, anti-hunting, anti-gun, tree-hugging The research for CWD, chronic wasting disease, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know what's crazy on conservation? You bring up CWD. Uh, I was at an event here a few weeks ago talking with a, a local fishing game biologist. Do you know that white-tailed deer can carry COVID-19? I'm not surprised. <laughs> True story. True story. Can they yeah. Can they transmit they it? Study. I, got the, I got the official study. I'll send it to you. 
So they can so, transmit it to humans? They just have tested a bunch of whitetail and they, they uh, COVID. are carrying COVID-19. See, that that makes me wonder. Maybe they've had it all along. They just never tested for it before. Hey, I'm telling you right now, if if whitetail deer get COVID-19 and they can lose their sense of smell, I'm all <laughs> You're about all that. for it. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a, a rash uh, outbreak um, on the wildlife population for COVID-19. They're going to re-engineer some one. Big, some big, big bucks killed this year down there and <laughs> around Nashville and other places that right. have a, you know, a lot of cases. Wouldn't that be something? Somebody takes it, re-engineers it to where it just affects uh, wildlife's <laughs> noses. They can't yeah. smell anymore. Yeah. Those dead downwind guys... Or, you know, you know, they're thinking that way right now. If we can just get that one side effect, we'll have the leg up finally. <laughs> and then all the predators are going to eat them all. And then we're not going to have any. <laughs> well, if you have a There's host, always cause and effect, you know. Yeah, when he told me this, we were sitting at this event. And I was like, you're full of shit, man. And he's like, no, I got the study. That's it's all official. I'll send it to you. Crazy. And you have to think about like, okay, so we've got these hosts these animal hosts in this case something that is true near and dear number one big game animal hunted in north america um you know what what are the second order effects on that but more so than not like hey you got to go you know we got to eradicate get vaccinated all this bullshit but yet you've got all these animal hosts and these new strains are coming out because supposedly gonna, it came know, from bats or something right i mean that's a cover story in my opinion but yeah sure yeah so, anyway, but you they know, but they tail. must legitimately be able to carry it. So obviously, wildlife can carry it also, and transmit yeah, 100%. it. Supposedly, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know that um, whitetail hunters. There's more whitetail hunters than anything else in the United States, and especially down in that area where you're at. You guys got some freaking because there's more of them. There is. Yeah, they're like rats. Wow. <laughs> well it's a lot easier to hunt right i mean the entry to barrier to entry for whitetail hunting is um not anywhere near as significant as some of our other big game species yeah and when you've got a 40 acre parcel and you can put a, a stand and a feeder and some cameras up and you know can walk from your from your backyard to your stand i mean that's convenient yeah the other thing Two that I like about whitetail, and you know, I, I grew up in the West. I grew up hunting mule deer and elk. I was introduced to whitetail hunting when I went into the military. I'd never hunted out of a tree stand. And my one of my very best friends that I went through flight school with, we served together in Korea and Afghanistan and, and other places. He grew up in New Hampshire, and all he knew was whitetail deer stand hunting. But he was my he was my mentor, my senior mentor. But one of the things that I really enjoyed was, you know, it's almost um, I won't say a year long, but it's a long process where guys are going out and they're putting the time in, they're finding their stands, they're putting tree camera or, or uh, uh, game cameras up, finding you know, the cases, rubs in the areas where south. they're traveling. Yeah, it's you know you get a lot a lot of t a scouting time in there and it's usually more convenient than you know out west uh where the animals migrate mm -hmm. um 
and you know to get into some of the places you hunt is very difficult so yeah that, that is a fun part about the whitetail aspect of it and you have the urban hunting too i mean you know you have whitetail downtown freaking nashville and all the big metropolitan the back east you know oh yeah they're um, they're everywhere they're everywhere around here yeah and it's also really good meat whitetail's excellent oh yeah it's, that right. helps. it's very good you know and that's what i've been prepping for the last uh few months and uh, i was telling you i was at my farm we're uh, building some stands out there got about 100 acres or so and it's like you said you know it's, it's very convenient to have you know smaller plots of land to where you can go out and and if you want to call it hunting you know some people don't call tree stand uh <laughs> hunting it's more harvesting you're just harvesting you know there's not really a lot of hunt involved with it but um, it's different. It, it's, it is it's different. Different than Western, but I I consider it hunting for sure. Yeah, when um, you don't have to walk two miles to pack your meat out, you know, it's kind of it's kind of nice, right? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the um, whitetail aspect was a saving grace. We you know when you're stationed at Fort Rucker, Alabama, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, you know, all these Eastern places and you don't have the time to take off and run back to, you know, home, Idaho or Wyoming, Montana, you know, the ability to get out on an evening hunt or a morning hunt. I mean, it's a luxury for sure. Yeah. So I enjoyed it a lot. What are your, killed more what are your thoughts whites. on, um, suppressor hunting? And love it. The only problem with hunting with a suppressor is the gun wants to rotate off your shoulder. Um, you, I've hunted a lot with a, a suppressed, mm -hmm. and it's it adds an awkward balance to the gun, and you're constantly fighting that some bitch, especially when you're pack hunting mm -hmm. and you're hitting you know high high terrain. So you got to have uh, some sort of you know aftermarket that you can strap that sling to your pack if that's what you're using mm -hmm. but it's a super luxury with especially if you're hunting with camera guys and you know people are around you from a hearing conservation perspective it doesn't have anything to do at all with like you know hollywood and doesn't make any noise um but the big advantages are recoil management and acoustic signature from a hearing conservation perspective so and, I personally am all about it. And the reason I ask is because in Tennessee and other states, it's, it's illegal to hunt with a suppressor. And I just, I've never yeah. understood why, 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 why not? Because it just never made, made sense those to me. Rules didn't understand, you know, truly understand the inherent value of, um, the same what reason that they charge two hundred dollar tax stamp and they make it very difficult as hell to get get one just for normal use. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's something. When you go hunting in New Zealand, you walk into a um, a sporting goods store and you can buy a suppressor off the shelf just like you would, you know, buying some ammo from Walmart. Yeah, um, and everybody's running suppressed. Everyone, every single. New Zealand guy that's hunting is running a suppressor. 
there's a lot of states where it's completely legal, like yeah. Idaho, Colorado, Texas. Texas. I mean, yeah, that's why I go to yeah. those states to <laughs> to do some of my hunting. Yeah. But yeah, um, I just never have understood it. I don't know why it, it's just an antiquated, old, stupid law that because, like you said, somebody had a misconception about it that didn't know anything about them to begin with, didn't know anything about guns, and they're like, oh, right. Let's just do this. Well, James Bond movies set the precedence for their decision making. You know, when it's not like you're shooting a Walther KK-22 pistol suppressed that you just hear the action go. Ch-ch-ch. I mean, it's yeah. you're shooting a hunting rifle. You know, and I, yeah, there's major major advantages. The disadvantages. Another one is like the handling of the suppressed rifle in and out. You know, I don't think there is a really good gun case to slip your gun into and throw in a truck. Um, and if you're running and gunning and you're hunting from your truck and glass and now you got this, you know, extra eight inch long gun sticking out of the back of your, of your gun case. But for the most part, yeah, but with technology are, today, they're easily on and off. Yeah, the quick yeah. tees, the quick detachments, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and the, and that's the thing, too. If they would just think about all the people would put more R&D into them and making them smaller and just build them into well, the rifles instead of making it, it just they just build it in. Yeah. They'd have it in, integrally suppressed. And you see some companies that, that are doing that now. Atlas Defense uh, does that. Uh, Keltec with yeah. their um, their carbine, their 9mm sub-2000. They've got an integrally suppressed version of that now. Uh, yeah, so you're seeing some a, companies. I've got an internally suppressed um, Gemtech upper on a Nemo lower that's our basically our ranch gun, our farm gun. It sits Nemo arms? Door, and my daughters and my wife and anybody else can grab that thing. And, it, and we've got it because we've got – predators we've got badgers i've shot a couple badgers off my dog's throats before but you know it is nice that internally suppressed because you maintain the size for sure yeah uh, with them but i'm all about uh hunting suppressed there but there is some disadvantages yeah uh, you, just on the ergonomics of the weapon you mentioned nemo nemo arm sponsors of the talking lid podcast <laughs> no shit give my sponsors a plug <laughs> yeah well, they're just down the road, right here in Boise, Idaho. Oh, very cool. Very cool. You'll have to tell them Lefty said, hey. I'll do it. you got a lot I'll of great Idaho. companies there in, in Idaho. There's uh, you guys. There's uh, Nemo Arms. You've got yep. another one of our sponsors, Occam Defense Solutions. Have you ever met Brian Keeney at Occam Defense? I've, I've met him in passing. Okay. Um, great dude. Extremely him. smart. Yeah. You've got... On to piggyback on that, you got primary weapon systems. Mm-hmm. You've got Taxol. Um, you got MGM firearms, Lone Wolf firearms, Seekins, wow. uh, Lewiston. Seekins, I didn't um, realize they were there. We got we got CCI and the whole federal ammo manufacturing up in Lewiston. I mean, Idaho is as red as the states come, and probably one of the gun gun friendliest states and i have uh heard that there's more guns per capita in this belt um you know the treasure valley belt mm-hmm. and magic valley belt kind of right here more guns per capita than anywhere else in the world now don't hold me to that somebody one of your listeners will but i have heard that rumor and based off my buddies i 
venture say it's probably true. Yeah. I'm sure somebody in Texas <laughs> will have, argue with you. They do. That's the Texas guys that argue with me. Yeah. But um, we do have a lot of really, really good gun companies and uh, ammo manufacturing. There's sure. probably more per capita in my block out here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, good, uh, good block. To good neighborhood. In. Yeah. It's a good neighborhood. Yeah. So, yeah, say the least. um, so hunting season is coming up. We're, we're approaching, I think both seasons probably open in a lot of places, uh, already. hundred uh, percent. Our starts this week or next week. I can't remember. I just, I just killed this bull. I'll find you a quick picture. I killed this bull last week. Yeah. I was going to um, ask you about some of your, uh, what you got planned for hunting season this year. I just came off this elk hunt. I don't know if you can see that. <clears throat> nice. But, uh, oh my gosh. That's huge. Yeah. What is that 500? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> your head's like <laughs> that big. Look how tiny your head it's is next a, to it. Yeah, I'll get you a more here realistic picture. You know, you got this setting back a little bit. Um, but elk season's definitely well, well underway. Archery, there is some. Uh, oh my gosh, how wide is, is that? Like seven feet? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't taped it to be honest with you. I haven't. I haven't scored it. I haven't nice taped rack. it. I haven't done anything like that yet. But um. It's a super good, awesome, mature bull. Where'd you get that? I shot that in Arizona. Arizona? And actually, Arizona, and it was actually a um, very fortunate early season rifle tag. Oh, that's another great gun company, um, Altera Arms. Altera? That's another one. Altera Arms. I haven't heard of them. What do they do? Bolt guns, um, super super high-end, you know, Super uh, sub sub MOA bolt guns. But is anyway, that the thirty three nozzler that you were talking about? Um, well, at NRA or Shot Show. I wasn't shooting a thirty three on that hunt. I I was shooting the six five Creedmoor. It's yeah. actually don't tell anybody. Okay. It's my wife's gun. <laughs> <laughs> Did she not know you took it? <laughs> no, she knows I took it because she saw me loading it out. But um. Yeah, that 33 Nosler, uh, actually, I've hunted with that suppressed. Uh-huh. Um, that's the only way to shoot that gun, 100%. Yeah. The unsuppressed version is traumatizing. The velocity on that round is amazing. And it's like 33, better ballistic, 3,700, better something like that. Yeah, and a 265-grain Acubon. Dude. <sighs> That is a lightning bolt. When you when you shoot something with it, it is freaking like lights out. Yeah, I mean, it's like literally just Thor just hammered them right between the eyes. <laughs> That's the only way to shoot that gun. That suppressed, yeah, thirty three suppressed, one hundred percent. So yeah, elk season's underway. Early deer, mule, uh, mule deer, antelope. Um, archery there's also uh some antelope rifle hunts that have been going as well do they do draws so where in idaho do they have draws for some of those or all of them they do draws um pretty much for uh all the 
premium units and premium areas and then if you want to get a, a a big buck tag so to speak you have to draw and then they have other areas that are just wide open yeah and uh, i think that i've asked fishing game about some of the rules and why they made the selections and some of the decision making is well we just need a place for people to go yeah right so they have for an example they have a two-point hunt that's in this south west corner of idaho and it's two points only and it's that same area is also coveted if you can draw a big buck tag um and i've asked why do you guys have these two-point hunts and they don't have a good answer except we just need a place to send the people that want to go out and fill their freezer and spend some time and they didn't draw a tag yeah so we kind of have a combination of both idaho doesn't have a point system like other states do so if you put in this year you get a point and you're gonna supposedly have a better chance next year mm-hmm. uh, and i actually am not completely opposed uh to that process because i know like nevada is a big point state and i know guys that have gotten max points and they still can't draw so they to answer your question it's a combination of both and to get the super premium areas, you got You need to draw a tag. Yeah. And I'm always swinging for the fence, man. So I'm putting in for these hunts that have like point zero 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 six draw odds. Yeah. <laughs> Just in um, case. But there are other hunts that are good where you could go in and you could get like a four percent or a three percent or a two percent or something like that. Yeah. So. Um, well, we don't have that part, here. I, obviously. No. Yeah. We just no, have these just bag a, limits, you know. There's bag limits, depending on where you're. Yeah, at. I know. All about it. That's awesome. Because you've been here, yeah. You've done it. I've been there, done it, lived there, loved it. In fact, my oldest daughter was born in in uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, in Clarksville. Oh, so, Clarksville's and, Tennessee. I know, but it's close enough, man. So she's a I Tennessean. Mean, so your daughter's a Tennessean. I knew there was something I liked about you. <laughs> <laughs> Go yeah, balls. My other, daughter, my other daughter was born at Enterprise, Alabama, and uh, they're both uh, fifth-generation Idahoans, though, even though they were military brats. There you go. So yeah. um, I was going to ask you about... Oh, what do you wear when you go hunting? Which pattern do you wear? Um, I, I know it well, depends on where you're at, but um, what, what's your favorite? More so also de- depends on the time of year. That's true. Right? Yeah. yeah. So these early season hunts, I mean, 85, 90 degrees in the middle of the day, and then you know, you're down in the 40s in the morning, and then in the evening it feels like somebody's uh, – turn on the air conditioning as soon as the sun starts going down. So the first thing you have to ask yourself is, you know, what, what are the environmental conditions that we're going to be hunting in? Mm -hmm. And then the second aspect is, okay, from a terrain perspective, you know, what pattern would fit in best for that environment that you're operating in from a visual acquisition perspective. But first and foremost, and most importantly is the environmental conditions. And I personally, um, and pretty much the cryptic systems built around layering. So layering up and layering down the ability to put 
clothes on or, or put your rain gear, light packable rain gear on for mm-hmm. an hour or two hours, take it off after it blows over. Um, base layers up to mid layers, up to outer layers. Um, back, you know, into a different type of hunting, like the whitetail type hunting, where you're going to get geared up once you get to the stand and crawl up into your stand. You know, I, I would, and depending on the time of year again, you know, I might hunt with our Vela system, which is, uh, if I'm bow hunting because it's got a fleece on the outside. So I'm also concerned about the noise that I'm going to make in the environment I'm in. I'm not going to be as concerned about wearing a fleece outer layer uh, if I'm rifle hunting. So these are all, you know, different considerations. Uh, I don't think that uh, you can boil it down to just one simple answer. So patterns, I guess, um, and and that's something too. You know, the, the layering is is very important when you're hunting, especially this time of year where you may go in the morning and it's you know it's 30 degrees, but then by the afternoon here in Tennessee, I mean it'll be up to 70 again. You know, right. So you you definitely need to layer and be able to take those off and uh, shed them as you need. And then rain is had been unbelievable here. I don't know about you guys, but we've been just getting hammered with rain. Yeah, I've seen on the news, you guys, in the wake of these uh, tropical storms. Tropical storms, volcanoes erupting, I mean, <laughs> all kinds yeah. of natural disaster. I think I think somebody's trying to tell us something. I don't know. Um, Maybe. But yeah. let's just do this because I know this is in our listener questions. Let's go to our listener questions now. Okay. Um, we got Facebook and we got Instagram. Do you have either of those? Personal? Uh, that, that you can access? That I can access. Mm-hmm. Can well, you access Instagram? Uh-huh. Can you access Facebook? Yeah, I can get on Facebook. Okay. That I way thought, we can um, we can review them together. Okay, hold on a minute. Let me That's fine. see if I And I made a post on um, I made a post on our Facebook page and our Instagram page, Talking Lead. Okay, I will uh, go to it real quick. Using Skype and Facebook, we're still old, man. <laughs> That's like MySpace. We were talking earlier. <laughs> yeah. Facebook. I think Facebook is still pretty popular. I mean, I don't use it much. Thank God Instagram automatically posts stuff to Facebook. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a big old picture of me and you on there. Back when we were a couple of years younger. Right. And I'm on I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with Facebook here while you're looking for it. We got yep. uh, pretty good for a, for a, such a late post. We got pretty good response here on Instagram and Facebook. See, Kenneth H. McGee says, "What camo pattern works best with night vision?" This is the next frontier for me. Okay, hmm. well, first of all, it needs to be wet printed. It's not about the pattern. It's about how it was, how the substrate was decorated. Yeah. So you want, you want military grade. Um, and what will be classified as either tactical or law enforcement gear. Um, and 
if that product was wet printed, um, then it will have some uh, some sort of uh, grayscale type camouflage effect under NVGs. You'll still you'll still be able to uh, be somewhat clandestine versus heat transfer, straight up hunting gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gonna glow. So is that to is that to make it more visible under these systems? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's there's pigments that are in the inks that are actually you know specific to the infrared and shortwave infrared spectrums. Yeah. And it used to be that you know not everybody had access to this type of uh, visually enhancing equipment. Now it's like you can get it all off of Amazon, you know, or you can get it off uh, any sporting goods store. So it's become more open. Um, it used to be the only concerns we had were near peer competitors. Um, and that's changed drastically. So it's not as much about the camo as much about how it's printed. And then after that, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of, um, information that's out there and debates about what's, best and what's not best i can tell you that cryptic highlander is extremely effective under nvgs oh okay effective as in it shows up better it yeah it works better okay gotcha and i guess that's what he's talking about is if he's going to be out hunting for for other people wear this so that he can see them i guess and he can be seen um and then on the Opposite of that, um, Aura Alpinap wants to know, know, looking into camouflage for these systems as well. So these, so if you're trying to hide yourself from a night vision or thermal or infrared, um, don't guess you would need to do anything different, would you? Thermal is a completely different discussion point. Yeah. Thermal... You know, there's been um, lots of improvements that that's like the magic sauce right now. If you're able to get to uh, a thermal treated uniform, um, then, you know, that's proprietary, probably, you know, going to stay at the uh, echelons above reality military level for some time. You know, when we still had fobs in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, there was all kinds of stupid creativity that those, you know, the Al Qaeda and um, they figured out, you know, we were looking at them through thermal. They were taking down folks at checkpoints that had life preservers on underneath, like these just stacking of, you know, basically making themselves a cooler um, to penetrate through and defeat the, the thermal um, sites. And uh, obviously, extremely super cumbersome. It didn't work very well if we if we took them out. But thermals, uh, that's the that's the next step in um, near peer force on force um, breakthroughs. We've got it. Is that something you guys are working on? Absolutely. Of course, you are. Pre COVID nineteen, it was a major focus with actual, you know, programs that were underway. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those funds were diverted into PPE, but yeah, it's a major, major ongoing deal. 
Let's go to switch over to Instagram here. Uh, Amy Hall Hunter says she's looking forward to this one. Basically, oh, this should be fun. We're having fun, right? We're having a good time. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. Blast. Giddy Up says, what's one piece of gear that you think it should be applied to that it hasn't yet? Your camo. One piece of gear. The camo? Yeah, like, I think that's what he's referring to. What's one piece of gear that you think it should be applied to that it hasn't yet? It's it's everywhere. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's on everything. Yeah. There's been not one piece of gear, I guess, you know, um, obviously probably of the craziest shit that I've ever seen de- uh, done that has ripped has been, well, Crocs was one of them. Crocs? You know, Crocs footwear. Yeah. Yeah. They crushed it. And then um, Groove Life rings, you know, these rubber rings so that you get your finger caught on a screw and you don't rip your finger off. Uh-uh. I don't you know. What is that? You know? Groove Life rings. They're, uh, are you like seeing my screen or are you seeing me right now? I'm seeing you. Okay. I didn't know if I was still sharing my screen or not. Okay. But... Yeah, to answer his question is like uh, I don't, I don't think there's one piece of specific gear out there that um, I'm like scratching my head going crap. Why, why isn't cryptic on that? Well, on our um, shot show interview that we did, um, lingerie was was one thing that <laughs> that you know you were yeah. not we're not going down that road with it. So, dude, Victoria's Secrets wants to cut a no. license with cryptic, it. Are you serious? Do it. I said if they did. Oh, if they did, you'd do it? I got you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, slam the door on those guys. I might have to go to some of the um, – and ensure that, you know, it's done correctly. Yeah. Visit. <laughs> uh, let's see. Giddy Up says – no, we just read Giddy Up. Austin Whalen says a good tiger stripe camo would be cool. Have you all played around with that? Think you have, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, so we kind of hit on that a little bit. So we yeah. we used uh, tiger stripe is baked into the obscura, the new obscura, the new obscura. patterns. Very yeah. cool. And to his point again, you know, tiger stripe is probably one of the most effective and he- most heavily used camouflage patterns um, in existence. There are some challenges when you go straight tiger stripe. You know, when you yeah. You want an omnidirectional camo when you're putting it on fabric. So no matter how it gets cut and it gets sewn together, it all flows. Yeah. And in some of the tiger stripe variants, you have to cut it all a certain way, which slows down the manufacturing process um, and also can cause, you know, issues if somebody had a toddy and decided to make their uniform cuts and didn't do it right. So... (laughs) Let's see, um, Jonathan Gallup. What's your favorite camo pattern, and why is it chocolate chip dessert? I don't get that. Is that an inside joke? He might be referring to chocolate chip, which was the name the that military. the military used for the camouflage uniforms that we went into um, Iraq, OIF one, and then yeah. also used in OEF. Um, and we still had, uh, woodland, uh, body armor 
Um, so we looked like <laughs> mismatched. Mismatched. Yeah. I'm sure that's what he's talking about. Chocolate chip. I don't personally have a, a camo outside of cryptic that is I like more than our own. So the answer is cryptic's my favorite camo. I think they probably which pattern or which you know which oh which of the patterns Highlander. Highlander? Highlander. Highlander and Obscure Transitional are probably two of the most effective uh, camo patterns ever developed. And those are both what's called transitional patterns. So in the tactical industry, we, we look at the world in three different environments. You look at it as an arid desert environment. You look at a woodland jungle environment. And then everything in between is considered transitional. And 70% of the globe is considered a transitional environment. And the majority of North America uh, and the United States is considered transitional. Now, you'd mentioned a couple of your your patterns that you've got um, that seem more like aquatic kind of camo. Yeah. That's lifestyle is what it is. Is that much more lifestyle? You have the same exact camo pattern. Like, for example, if you look at Pontus or Neptune – um, there was a program, a wetsuit program that was a military inspiration. Those were throwaways. They weren't selected, but mm-hmm. you just ultimately that those bright camo patterns are, are, um, our lifestyle. I mean, maybe there's use with your fly fishing for, you know, super spooky trout. Um, but for the <laughs> most part, I, it's all lifestyle piece. No shark camo uh, or anything like that that'll camo you from sharks. I'm being facetious. No, dude, I did get a I did get a a phone call from a guy that was educated, and he was at from a university in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And this was years ago, and I think he was dead up serious, and he asked me if zombies could see cryptic camo. And I, my my response to him was, as as far as we know, based on our testing, no zombies cannot see cryptic camera. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That kind of ties in with uh, this question that I saw about color blindness. Where did that go? Um, oh, here it is. Mustang Perry. Is it true that colorblind people can see? camo in the environment easier than most you know anything about that i don't think that it depends on the environment and what i think color blindness relates to two primary colors green and red and so um i'm not a subject matter expert on color blindness but i don't think that they have a higher uh better advantage of uh, a naked eye visual acquisition. I think that's a demographic that you're leaving out of your, uh, your market research there. Yeah. Colorblind people. Now there is a major, there is major, um, science and belief that undulance see in grayscale. So like deer, uh, and then you have what we consider tier one undulance, which are species that have wicked good eyesight, 
i.e. antelope, sheep would be another one. Mm-hmm. Probably on the lowest end of that, the lowest undulant visual acquisition big game species would be a moose. Mm-hmm. Um, so animals do see differently than we do. And, you know, there is some science that's proven around staying hidden from animals. Like you don't want to use IR brighteners in your laundry detergent um, and, and that type of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, nothing with regards to uh, colorblindness. This uh, question kind of goes along to what you were just saying. Sack Archer says, since deer are essentially colorblind, unable to see purple, pink, red, and orange, why don't camel companies incorporate more into their patterns, especially for certain states where there are Nazis in the amount of, where they are Nazis in the amount of orange required during rifle season? I get it for duck hunters. Those suckers flare at everything. We have done that. So if you look at our Inferno pattern, Ooh, let me it, is, it is the uh, cryptic camo on uh, high-vis blaze orange. Some states um, require uninterrupted certain square inches of high-vis bright orange um, Tennessee you're not able exactly so yeah. we so to answer Sack your last, Archer. Uh, yeah so they do have um, I guess maybe what he's saying too is just not like as full on orange as that but have some orange in with like if you took one of your other patterns let's say Typhon let's take Typhon um, come up, yeah. Typhon, and you were to throw some orange accents in there with that. Well, I'll tell you what. You look up on your screen, Cryptic Loki Obscura. Oh, we've Obscura got a Loki. we've got a question about that. I saw that. I was gonna. I thought that was a made up something. So you do have. Is that on your yeah. website or? I don't know if we have it on our website. All right, I'll just we do don't that. actually carry it, but we had one of our associates, a licensee, a fishing company called Hook, that requested this specifically for their use, and they have um, done a collection around it, and it's nothing short of absolute it looks like Hawaii. Like if I went down to the park, the hippies. Oh, this is uh, this is surfer, compete. dude. This is surfer camo. So so check this out, Lefty. That camo pattern is the exact same pattern as the Obscura Transitional, the Obscura Grom, and the Obscura Knox that we, we do have on our site uh-huh. with these different colorways plugged into it. So if you would have asked me even two years ago, would we ever do you know, tie-dye rainbow camo, I would have said no. But when you had a pretty significant and prominent brand like hook come to you and say, Hey, can you do this for us? Uh-huh. And we go, I oh, dig that. <laughs> I like it, man. I would wear that to the beach. Yeah. Well, maybe you're a listener there where it, uh, where it white tail hunting and see, see how it works out. It'd probably work out just fine. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So is this the only place you can get it? Is it hook? 
Yeah, unless it's a vinyl program to wrap your car or something like that, we don't carry any of it um, because it's just so obnoxious. <laughs> obnoxious it's, for it's a little off. It's a little off uh, voice, but it's definitely vibrant. This des- European- definitely falls into your lifestyle yeah, section. Exactly. Oh, here's a car European- with it right here. You're talking about wraps. Right. Mm-hmm. Dude, I would totally wear a button-up shirt. With that pattern on it, <laughs> you would look good in it too. I'm like I'm I'm notorious for wearing ugly shirts, like shirts that have all these wild wild patterns and stuff on them. I would wear Imagine that to your next nice, party, your next cryptic party. A nice pearl snap collared, oh, yeah, pimp back, western going out Nashville, western pockets. Little... I'm digging right. it. I'm I mean, should I? Should I be ashamed? No. Look at that. It's cryptic, man. It's cryptic. I'm digging it. <laughs> That's my new favorite cryptic. I'm sorry. You're never going to speak to me again, are you? No. Oh, I'm See, not. I scuba dive, too. Oh. I should have known. I shouldn't have showed it to you. I know. I'm, I'm loving it now. It's, it's my favorite. Up. All right. I'm going to move on from that. Um, here's one about... Um, his he thinks you've changed the color. Let's see. Where is it? Why is Mandrake not as green as it once was, or is my gear just faded, Casey Loftus? It depends on the substrate that it's on some sometimes that one of the challenges that you have is when you have different types of fabrics or what we call grage grage is the term that's used for just uh white fabric that has been woven that's going to be specific into a uh, collection um and to to keep the collection dress right dress where everything looks exactly the same as you have different fabrics is is very challenging now i can tell you that the mandrake that's in the hunting collection that is done with heat transfer paper is definitely not as what he's probably referring to as um green as the wet printed military grade fabric items Gotcha. And it's just a constraint of the technologies uh, where we are as the fabrics. people in, in terms of decorating the fabrics. Gotcha. Now it could be faded with, too. He could have faded. It, it could be. Normally, the I've seen the majority of any fading issues are in items that are going to be exposed uh, for long durations in the sun, and were digitally printed those that printing method does not hold up to you well to uv rays. so like we've done um some uh uh float tubes and they've they've faded we've also seen some digitally printed pack fabrics fade uh faster than what we would want the color fastness just isn't there but if your listener has apparel that he purchased and he's comparing it to something else. He's got to look at the fabric types and also understand the difference between digital print and wet print. And 
if you put two cryptic Highlander pieces together and you compare the digital print or the heat transfer print rather, I said digital, but heat transfer print to the military grade wet print, you'll see a difference there as well. Makes sense. The um, I found that question that they were asking about the the Loki. Rayo Shields, what was the inspiration behind the Cryptek Loki, which you talked about? Uh, definitely yeah. like the Cryptek Highlander and Obscura. So, yeah, again, Loki was a specific request from the Hook brand and color Pantones that they actually provided. So, if you go and buy into that collection, you might find a short, a board short that's just the red. It's all solid red but it matches the red that they wanted to have in the shirt in the Loki pattern. Gotcha. Lock Vogel, Lock Vogel, zero, zero. Why cryptic style patterns over like say real tree or mossy oak? And there's another yeah. question that's kind of similar to that. Sack Archer, digi versus cryptic versus traditional versus tiger versus solid is one head and shoulders above the rest or does each have their place i think those kind of tie in together those questions well the hunting camel the traditional legacy real tree slash mossy oak first of all the designs that the, that they put out really are at what i call 48 inches or shelf appeal and for actual use once you start to wear um some of those sticks and leaves and you start to get past 20 meters then you start to blob and meaning you become a solid versus you're broken up their their macro and micro patterns are bu built off of shelf appeal versus off of actual functionality so you would never see real tree or mossy oak or sticks and leaves on the battlefield you'd never see a tier one sniper and his spotter wearing sticks and leaves because of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, there's also not wet print sticks and leaves to my example. So you'd be at risk from infrared, shortwave infrared. But you would see hunting camo used, or correction, tactical military camo used in the hunting market. So it's like this one, it only flows one way. It doesn't right. go up uphill. It only goes downhill. And so there is a major difference between the classical sticks and leaves. And we came in and completely disrupted that market. We came in and absolutely just, you know, started a forest fire in Realtree and Mossy Oak. And if you look now, they do have lifestyle camo patterns that were brought in in wake of our success and primarily in the fishing market. One of them has a, a camel pattern. It looks like somebody took uh, a screenshot of a top of a swimming pool. It's just a few waves, right? Mm -hmm. And then the, they've got some other stuff. So we came in, disrupted that market. Those guys pivoted out of their classical sticks and leaves and started to do some more lifestyle shit, whereas our stuff was already haphazardly and by accident landing in lifestyle and causing that, causing that disruption. Um, I don't know if that answers. There's like three or four other parts to that, but there is a major difference. I think basically it's each one has its, has its place. Uh, there's yeah. a time and place they, for each one. 
Well, the reason why we were accelerated into multicam within the U.S. military is because um, Spec Ops was using multicam and the rest of the conventional force was using ACS. And ACS was a terrible, terrible daytime visual acquisition. You looked like a gravel. The only place it worked was in a gravel parking lot if you were laying down on it. And so conventional forces were working with non-conventional forces. They saw how well multicam was working and there were some complaints. A congressional mom made a complaint to her buddy who is a congressman from whatever state. And boom, this mass decision was made to move entire U.S. conventional military into multicam, which cost taxpayers hundreds of millions of excess dollars in royalties from cry precision and multicam. There's a that's the primary reason why was there was the U.S. Army camo improvement effort. The the point of that is that you have to take into consideration the terrain you're going in and the competitor you're against. Whether it's a tier one undulant, deer, elk, sheep, antelope, or you're going against, you know, what what's the end state? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to walk down the street and walk into a restaurant and everybody look at you and go, oh, that guy's an outdoorsman or that guy's a shooter? Are you wearing it because you want to identify with that? That's a psychological aspect of it. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's an important spectrum when you talk about camouflage. But the most important true application is functionality. That's the most important. Does this work? Is it going to keep me concealed? And that's the end state. Now, we found functionality and lifestyle um, by accident. But ultimately, really, it depends on the environment you're going in. That's the reason why the government requested three camo patterns because of those three different environments, the major swags of, of ground. Did you say uh, three? Within the, I did. That's hopefully, wrong. Hopefully. That's wrong. That's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. An extremist. Yeah. But you arid desert, jungle woodland, and transitional. So a lot of it just depends on where you're operating at and what you're going to do. If you, if, if you could just have one pattern out of all the ones that you have, for every environment, let's just say you had you just, you just had to get something, you had to go, and you were going to be going around the world. Which one would you pick? You just had one that you could use. Okay, can I ask a question to the question? Yeah. What am I going to be doing? Am surviving I or am I going surviving? I'm surviving. You're surviving. Okay. Well. It's Highlander. I would have Cryptic Highlander. Good answer. Is that your original? It's pattern? one of the original. It's one of the original patterns tested. Yeah. Let's see. Did you did you make it on Facebook or Instagram? I think I've read most of them there. So I think we got. Oh, I started. I started to, but no, I didn't. Yeah, that's fine. I think I got most of the question. A lot of them are redundant. So. Uh, thanks okay. to everybody, all you leadheads, for uh, posting your questions for Butch um, on Facebook and Instagram. I don't think I got any. Let me make sure I didn't get any emails. Sometimes they'll email me, too. I just didn't give them enough time this time. Again, sorry for the, the short post, guys. Uh, but if you have additional questions for Butch, you can shoot me an email, talkinglead at gmail.com, uh, and I'll send those over to him. 
and uh, try to answer, get your questions answered. Um, but to reward you guys for your questions uh, and taking part and participating, we like to reward our listeners here, Butch. Um, nice. Cryptic has set up a nice discount code for you leadheads. And if you go to their website and you use the code LEADHEAD, all caps, L-E-A-D-H-E-A-D, all caps, you're going to get a nice 10% off any of the Cryptic branded uh, products. And that doesn't apply to any of their uh, partnership um, products that they have. So just the Cryptic branded um, products. I think I said that right. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. I was trying to uh, find her email that she had sent me here. Let me make sure I get it right. Yeah, so it says, one-time use only. Only includes cryptic branded products and excluded licensee products. So there you go. That's her words exactly. Um, so there you go. Go take advantage of that. Go to their website. It's crypticcom right? K-R-Y-P-T-E-K. There you go. Crypticcom uh, And there's a lot of products that they have there. Like you said, you guys are an apparel company now. You're making your own apparel this isn't just you're putting your pattern on somebody else's stuff this is your own yeah. branded stuff talk about that well we're a hybrid and we have what's we call discretionary licensing so somebody comes to us and wants to decorate um something with our camo we may not go through with it if it's going to compete with a other strategic partner that we already have or some of our own gear like i've turned down various uh programs that could be very meaningful in apparel that wanted to use cryptic camo but then we'd be running up against it and we've actually done some programs i've stubbed my toe a time or two but yeah the cryptic apparel itself is well thought out it's there's enormous amount of effort and energy it's really superior quality gear we'll put it up against anybody else in the market and um and you got to strip the paint job off it's just about super good quality construction manufacturing um, and, and good uh, componentry and fabrics. Um, but yeah, we do have a, um, a vast cryptic collection from super cold weather to super warm weather to in between lifestyle. Um, yeah, quite a broad spectrum. Got packs and bags, gun cases. This, are right. the sleeping bags yours or are those a. Uh, uh, those are ours. Collaboration. Those are yours. So you're doing sleeping bags also. Man. No camo on them either. Yeah. Those actually just launched here like a couple of weeks ago. They're super badass. What uh, What got you into doing those? In the sleeping bags? Uh, being cold. <laughs> being cold and uh, Other wanting bags. a better sleeping bag? It's called the, right? the Kilsia? Yes. Kilsia? Did I say that right? You did. And it's a zero degree, and they've got a fifteen degree bags, two different bags, mummy right. mummy style. I like that. Lots of lots of accessories, gloves. The gun case program's probably one of our more successful programs. We got range bags as well. Let me go uh, there. Pistol bags. So they do. They're really good. Real nice. How long have you been doing the gun cases? Been doing them for a while. Okay. Quite so a while. That's been in your repertoire for a minute. Yeah. 
There they are. Yeah, those are some. You got a bow cases? Bow cases. 100%. Those are super sweet, too. And I guess certain things are available in certain patterns, or are all your things available available with all your patterns? No, not everything. Not every camo pattern um, is on every piece. And in some collections, you know, it's like, for example, altitude. You can't get an altitude Takar jacket in Highlander. It's, you know, so... It's it's vast. There's a lot of camo patterns, but then there's also a lot of offerings with regards to various weights of jackets, pants, rain gear, base layers, uh, mid layers, and that type of thing. Gotcha. So go check them out. Uh, Leadheads, Cryptic, K R Y P T E K, and use the code Leadhead, all caps. Uh, one time you sell only, you're gonna get ten percent off. So load up. Because Christmas is coming. It's just around the corner. So these make some great gifts. Uh, and if you want to send me something, <laughs> you can send me some of this stuff. I wear a large 34 pant. And the footwear. Are you, so are you guys doing your footwear now? I know when we talked before, uh, you were, is there an Italian company that you were collaborating with? Are you doing your own footwear now? No, we haven't. We haven't taken that on. We still have licensees um, that we're working with. We just finished a new one that's launching. I think any time, like this week or next week. Um, Carolina Boots Ooh. and our parent company's HH Brown, and there's some um, waterproof muck boots that are really super sweet and sick with uh, regards to like whitetail hunting all the way down to cowboy boots and some other stuff. So what I felt was that it was easier for us to align ourselves with footwear companies that we would wear, that we'd get behind versus uh, stretching our resources into a very inventory extensive industry. You go, you have to have a lot of sizes and carry a lot of inventory to be in the footwear program. Yeah, no doubt. So we're going to pick, we're going to pick a winner from all the people that participated, I'm going to give away, uh, I had it here somewhere and it's their choice. They can have, here they are. I've got some, uh, Gosley triggers. I've got, uh, one for an AR, one for an AK and the winner will get to have their, their choice. They can pick AK or AR on the ALG triggers and, uh, Butch, I'm going to let you pick the winner. From all of our questions that we had there, which was your favorite question? Do you remember all I the questions? I thought the guy uh, was pretty clever that um, threw in, what's your favorite camo pattern and why is it chocolate chip desert? <laughs> okay. Let's see who that was. I don't remember who asked that. That was on Facebook. Jonathan Gallup. Giddy up. There you go. Jonathan Gallup. Giddy up Gallup. What's your favorite camo pattern? Why is it chocolate chip desert? You are the winner. Shoot me a email, talkinglead at gmail.com. And um, tell me that you won the trigger on the Butch episode here. And tell me if you want AR, if you want AK. And uh, these are really nice triggers. These are like like they're high-end 
super nice. He's probably going to want the AK because if he was in Desert Storm and knows about chocolate chip, he probably had a few in his duffel bag when he came home. Well, we do this uh, this series, Butch, called the Talking Late AK Corner. We do it once uh-huh. a month, and we just talk AKs, AK-47s. That's that's what the whole the whole episode's about. So, um, and I know Giddy Up listens to that, and I think he's got some. But um, that's our logo for the Chalking Lid AK Corner. There, if you can see that. I'm um, you still on your screen? Oh, am I sharing? Yeah. Good thing I didn't put up my nudie pics, huh? Right. There we go. So that's our AK Corner logo. Nice. And these are on Mission First dump trays. Mission First Tactical makes these for us. And you guys can go and order those at missionfirsttactical.com and use the code LEADHEAD, lowercase. You get 20% off anything at Mission First. They make AR accessories, uh, holsters, uh, all kinds of cool stuff there. And then they've got our logoed items there, too, at Mission First Tactical. Go check them out and support all our sponsors, Seal One, Seal One.com. Use the code LEADHEAD. You get 25% off any of their CLP products there. Um, Nemo Arms, we talked about earlier. Um, awesome sponsors there up in Idaho. And use the code TL10. You're going to get 10% off anything at Nemo Arms. That includes their their firearms, which is a, a great offering there. You don't hear anybody discounting their firearms these days. Uh, and those are high-quality, yeah. high-end firearms guys you heard me talk about their shotguns have you have you shot their shotguns yes those are heirloom quality beautiful shotguns they've got over under shotguns love them yeah they're really nice absolutely beautiful uh we were talking earlier 1776 united for the talking lead apparel our traditional logoed items use talking lead at 1776 united you're going to get 20 percent off there uh, any of the products that they have there, including the Talking Lead logoed items. Occam Lube, OccamLube.com. They have great delivery methods for your uh, lubrication products. You can go, and they've got their own greases and, and whatnot now, too, at Occam Lube. Check them out, OccamLube.com. And their code is LEADHEAD. See what my pattern is here? I keep it LEADHEAD across the board. Yeah. It's easier for me to remember it. and for them. Uh, but it's all it's all caps like at Cryptech. You're gonna get ten percent off there. Uh, the password and, for your computer, Leadhead. <laughs> you'd think, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm easy to hack. Uh, and then, of course, our buddies at Keltech, uh, KeltechWeapons.com. Unfortunately, we didn't get to do the uh, NRA this year, Butch. We were looking forward to that. We we're going to be set up at Keltech's booth, uh, but that didn't happen. But uh, we're in talks. I think we're going to go down to Cocoa Beach and take the studio there and um, do a, a tour of their factory and uh, record the show from there. So we're in works with that. And they were also talking about, Butch, this might be something you guys might be interested in. We're going to do a range and ride. And uh, what that's going to be is if you got motorcycles, you're into motorcycles, because we did an episode on motorcycles a while back, uh, ride your bike to the range. Keltech will be set up there. We might have some other um, of our friends of the show and companies set up. And you get to shoot their guns, ride your bikes in, and then we might set up like a little ride afterwards to go somewhere and do something. We'll have food and, and all that. So that's something that conceptually right now is in the works. That's cool. 
that that should be a good time. But go show all our our sponsors love. Show our guests love. Go to their websites. Go to their Instagrams. Let them know you heard them here, and how much you appreciate everything that they do for not only our two A community, but as Cryptech is doing for our outdoor and conservation as well. I appreciate everything that you guys are doing for that, Butch. Um, giving back, that's what it's about. Right, that's 100%. We want our children, our grandchildren's grandchildren to be able to enjoy the luxuries we have across the hunting, but also, I mean, in this current administration across everything, right? Our, our freedom of speech is uh, heavily under attack right now. And we have, we have to use our speak, our voices, to combat that. So don't be afraid to uh, voice your opinions, how you feel about things. Don't let them, don't let them squat you out. Uh, speak up. Absolutely. All right, Leadheads, that does it for another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. Until next week, as always, keep your loved ones close. And your firearms closer and loaded. And ready to go. Perfect. Okay. I don't know if you'll throw any cryptic things in there. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, and they're and they're decorated. Your firearms are decorated in cryptic. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's hydro dipped or duracoated, huh? Or seracoated. Duracoated or vinyl wrap. Vinyl wrap. Seracoated. Go really. We need to talk about wrapping the lead sled with with some cryptic. Get that multicam off there. Let's put some Cryptek on there. We can do stuff like that, dude. We should Let me know. That.